Oh, my God. 
After 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Abraham, Abraham, please do not move your hand. You've proven yourself loyal to me. Your name will carry on. Your nation will grow strong. A promise kept throughout history. So this I promise you, if you promise to stay true, your children will be like the stars in the sky. This vast universe before your very eyes. Endless in number and endless in size. You couldn't count him if you tried. You couldn't count him if you tried. Couldn't count him if you tried. I promise you.
No fighter plane, no battleship can crash with fury and sweet. It's that last drop of oil. It just won't see defeat. It keeps our little hub in flame and dancing to the beat. It's that last drop of oil. We'll take it to the street and we'll blow smoke in the face of darkness. Set fires to burn up the night. Tell and retell all your stories. Be a miracle of light. Blow smoke in the face of darkness. Set fires to burn up the night. Crushed like an olive, let your royal flow. When there's nothing left, your true colors show. So reach deep down and grab that spark. Ain't you tired of living in the dark? Show me, can I show you the light? Show me, can I show you that and light? We'll blow smoke in the face of darkness. Set fires to burn up the night. Tell every tell all your stories. Be a miracle of light. Blow smoke in the face of darkness. Set fires to burn up the night. Tell every tell all your stories. Be a miracle of light. I'll be a mess, mess. I'll be a bright light. I'll be a miracle. I'll be a miracle of light. I'll be a mess, mess. I'll be a bright light. I'll be a miracle. I'll be a miracle of light. I'll be a Bishvila kol, anachnu 
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning on this November the 20th, day four in the month of Kislev. Good morning, everybody. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Toldos with candlelighting in New York at 413. I saw some candlelighting times yesterday around the country, like Boston. What was the other one? There was one in, I, there was one in Boston, and there was one other city in the United States where candlelighting was before 4 o'clock. He had actually started with a three. I know one was Boston, and I can't remember which the other one was. Another city that's very, very east in its uh, time zone. Hmm. Now this is going to bother me for a while. Uh, candlelighting at 413 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Things are pretty early on these Fridays. and Make sure you leave plenty of time to get where you need to go on this Friday, Erev Shabbos. Yeshiva boys had Uval Etzion. You heard Chazak. That was Yoli Folko. It's RJ2 with Bishvili Akol. Miracle! Hey, it's the month of miracles. Kislev with eighth day. Chaim David Burson and Geula Rock. Uh, Rock Hayom done by uh, Moshe Tischler. Aryeh Kunstler's brand new The Promised. Filot Shabbat medley from Micha Gammerman and from Regesh. Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. 46 degrees, 64% humidity. Winds of southwest at 9 miles per hour. Sunny today with a high of 62. Let's hear it. Then tonight, clear skies, low 47. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, a high Shabbos, 62 degrees. 64 right now in Yerushalayim. We're at 46 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM and the AM. Full day today, to say the least, and a full show here at JM and the AM. We've got the a weekly update coming up with Malcolm Holmline. We have words of Torah with both Harry Rothenberg and Rabbi Yudin. We'll check in with our friends at the Kushner Yeshiva High School and Kushner and uh, Ray Kushner Hebrew Academy as they have their Atid Society event this weekend. We'll do that in the 8 o'clock hour. Plenty happening on a Friday Erev Shabbos here at JMNAM. And I thank Mark Zamek. Gave me an amazing lead-in today after the uh, encore of the Erev Shabbos show presented by Kedem. Thank you, Mark. An amazing lead-in. Lots of people out there tuned in. And what a great feeling that is. So I thank him very much for all the hard work in putting together an Erev Shabbos show, specifically for Parshas Toldos. JM in the AM at 17 minutes before 7 o'clock. As we continue with this uh, brand new selection from Avram Freed here at JM in the AM. Plenty coming up. It's Friday, Erev Shabbos, and you're where you need to be with us and the Jewish community worldwide at JM in the AM and the Nachum Siegel Network. Yeah, 
שאין לו חוב. רק תגיד לי מי, מי יחבק אותי, ויבטיח שאני לא אכנע בסוף. Yeah. 
J.M. in the A.M. Home is done by uh, Mordechai Shapiro. Before that, you heard the um, Simcha Liner selection, Eitz Chaim He, here at J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Oh, Avram Fried had Shvuri Lev. That's a brand new one. 
here on a Friday era of Shabbos. Candle lighting at 413 here in New York. Thursday is Thanksgiving, by the way. <laughs> Talk about the calendar moving. Someone said to me yesterday with COVID, uh, it seems that the uh, that time flies, but the calendar never moves. Um, I would say the opposite. I think time's at a standstill, and the calendar's moving like crazy. And yes, next week, we discovered this while we were doing the live lunch yesterday. And by the way, if you missed yesterday's live lunch, Mayor K was on for a long time, and he has so many cool projects going on. You want to check out that archive at NahumSiegel.com. Anyway, yesterday during the live lunch, we were like, what? Next week's Thanksgiving? No Thursday live lunch? And... You know, where has all this time gone? Yesterday, last night, I walked into Aaron's Casino Farms, and they have, I don't want to say thousands, but certainly, well, how do I put this? They had a lot of choices when it comes to lighting Hanukkah, uh, Hanukkiyot, Hanukkah menorahs, all the different oils and candles. And I said to myself, what? It's Hanukkah already? Yeah, we're in Kislev, and Hanukkah is two weeks from Thursday night. Hard to believe, frankly. Hard to believe. So, yeah, time is flying by. And this coming Thursday is already Thanksgiving, which is, again, hard to believe. Uh, it's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web, and AlchemSegal.com, and the Segal Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Galate's on the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. Malcolm Holine coming up with a weekly update. We'll also check in with our friends from Nefesh Benefesh. Harry Rothenberg coming up next. After our news with Parshas Toldos. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. Boker Tov from Jam and the Amp. Galitzal, Shalom Rav, Khan El Azar, Ben Lulu, in Mashakore, Shav. ועדת השרים להכרזת אזור מוגבל תתכנס בשעה זו לדיון על הטלת הגבלות על יישובים בהם נרשמת רמת תחלואה גבוהה. השרים צפויים לאשר הטלת סגר הנצרת. ברגע התפשטות התחלואה ביישובים הערביים אמר איימן סייף, ממונה הקורונה במגזר הערבי לנורית קנטי בגלי צהל, סגר מקומי אינו פתרון. מה שדרוש הוא להגביר את האכיפה ואת המעורבות של המנהיגים. כתבתנו המדינית מוריה אסרה בולברג מזכירה שבראשון תתכנס ועדת השרים לקורונה. פעוטה כבת שמונה חודשים נמצאה מחוסרת הכרה במיטתה בביתר עילית. צוות מגן דוד אדום ביצע בפעולות החייאה במקום ופינה אותה במצב אנוש לבית החולים שערי צדק בבירה. כך מעדכן כתבנו שחר גליק. בבית העלמין באחד היישובים סמוך לאשקלון ננעלה הלווייתו של הפעוט בין הארבעה חודשים שנרצח על פי החשד על ידי הוריו. כתבנו בדרום רמי שני מוסר שההורים הגיעו להלוויה בליווי משטרתי כבד כשהם אזוקים. מעצר האם הוארך עד יום שני ושל האב הוארך עד יום חמישי. גבר בשנות ה-40 לחייו נפצע באורח בינוני במהלך רכיבה באופנוע שטח סמוך לקיבוץ צאלים ופונה למרכז הרפואי סורוקה בבאר שבע. מנהלות ומנהלי אגפי החינוך ברשויות המקומיות פנו לשר החינוך גלנט ולחברי ועדת השרים לקורונה בדרישה להחזיר את כלל תלמידי מערכת החינוך ללימודים בהקדם. כל יום שעובר ובו בתי הספר נשארים סגורים מייצר מציאות של בידוד, ניכור, ייאוש והגדלת פערים, כתבו הבכירים. כתבנו לענייני חינוך דורון קדוש מוסר שעל פי הצעתם כל התלמידים יחזרו ללימודים למשך יומיים בשבוע בלבד בנוסף, בבתי הספר יבוצעו בדיקות קורונה אחת לשבוע. כוחות משטרה איתרו במהלך הלילה והבוקר שתי מסיבות טבע באזור ירושלים, בהן השתתפו עשרות בני אדם. השוטרים החרימו את הציוד, כנסו את המארגנים ועיכבו לחקירה מספר עצורים בחשד להחזקת סמים. 
אליה שהעביר כתבנו בבירה, יובל שגב. מזג האוויר גשום, הטמפרטורות תרדנה במידה ניכרת והרוחות תתחזקנה, קיים חשש להצפות במישור החוף ובמדבר יהודה. באלה זמני כניסת השבת, פרשת תולדות יצחק בירושלים, שלוש דקות לפני ארבע. בתל אביב תיכנס השבת בארבע ותשע עשרה דקות, בחיפה בארבע ושש דקות, ובבאר שבע תיכנס השבת בארבע ועשרים. באלה זמני צאת השבת מחר, בירושלים בחמש ושש עשרה, בתל אביב בחמש ושבע עשרה, בחיפה בחמש ורבע, ובבאר שבע תצא השבת בחמש ושמונה עשרה דקות. לכל מאזיננו שבת שלום, אלה החדשות.
J.M. in the A.M. L'chad Dodi, that's done by uh, Yisroel Werdiger here on a Friday morning Erev Shabbos. Happy third anniversary to Shragi Naomi Auerbach from all of us here at J.M. in the A.M. and, of course, from listener Yaakov. Happy anniversary. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more, old world classics, beef fry, kishka, and more and modern, better-for-you kosher products, including no-nitrate-added, reduced-fat, and reduced-sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique items as well. Visit the website, kosherdogs.net. Try A&H today and enjoy. They are amazing, the people at A&H and the meat. Just as good, if not better. <laughs> uh, don't forget our friends and Partners in Torah have an incredible initiative. you got to check it out. Partnersintorah.org slash Shabbat. Partnersintorah.org slash Shabbat. Partnersintorah.org slash Shabbat. Go to that website. Find yourself a partner. Get through the uh, three weeks of Shabbos curriculum. <clears throat> it will enhance your life and certainly help those who want to connect more with our heritage to do so. Partnersintorah.org slash Shabbat. Check it out today. Mazel tov to my Ohel Base Ezra neighbor and fellow congregant at the Mizrahi, Apollo Mizrahi, Baruch Lunzer and his parents Pam and Robert on the marriage this Sunday, please God, of his sister and their daughter, Rena, to Eliyahu Kite of Toms River, New Jersey. To the Lunzers and the Kites, we say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Uh, Harry Rothenberg has some wonderful things to say about uh, about Parshas. Oh, I should get to the right computer to do this, right? Yeah. <laughs> Harry Rothenberg has some wonderful things to say about Parshas Toldos, <laughs> and he's with us now at JM in the AM. Immediately after Jacob, Yaakov successfully impersonates his twin brother Esau in order to receive the special blessing of physical prosperity from their father Isaac, Yitzchak, Esau arrives. He figures out what has happened and he screams out a great and bitter cry. Maybe he was insincere. Maybe they were crocodile tears. After all, this is Esau. He spent the first 60 plus years of his life deceiving his father into thinking that he's righteous when he's far from it. Or maybe it was sincere, an honest moment of reflection on Esau's part. Maybe he realized that he wasn't the man that he was pretending to be all those years. He wasn't the man that his father hoped he'd become, and maybe he regretted that. Indeed, if you look at Megillus Esther that we read on Purim, you'll see that Mordechai, a direct descendant of Yaakov, 
gets the news that Haman, a direct descendant of Esau, has convinced the king to sign an edict calling for the destruction of the Jewish people. And in virtually the same phrase that's used in our Torah portion, the Megillah tells us that Mordechai cried out a great and bitter cry. Certainly, his was sincere. Maybe it had to be to counteract the sincere cry of Esau all those years before. Now, like Yitzchak, I'm the father, thank God, of twin boys. So I can imagine how painful it must have been for Yitzchak to see one twin so happy and one so upset. And you can feel his pain in the passages. First, he tells Esau that there's nothing he can do. But Esau keeps begging, so he relents. So Yitzchak gives him a blessing. But did he have to give him that blessing? He tells Esau that you'll have to serve your brother, but when you have cause to be aggrieved, you can throw off that yoke. The commentaries explain that what that means is that when the Jews stray, our enemies, Esau's descendants, will be able to overpower us. That's kind of a preview of Jewish history, isn't it? We move into an area, and we don't just blend into the woodwork. We do important things like discover the cure for polio and the theory of relativity. You'd think our non-Jewish neighbors would want to have us around, but consistently, they don't. Instead, throughout history, they enslave us. They burn down and ransack our holiest of places. They try to forcibly convert us. They expel us, or they exterminate us. Maybe Yitzhak was trying to create that friction because he understood that when anti-Semites come after us, they don't just look for the most Jewish-looking Jews, the ones with beards and yarmulkes. They look for any Jews, observant, non-observant, everything in between. That forces us to remember our Jewish identity, to bind together. So maybe what Yitzhak was trying to do was to ensure that we wouldn't be fully welcomed so that we wouldn't fully assimilate and the Jewish people would be lost. So as painful as it is to say, Maybe Yitzchak knew exactly what he was doing. He wanted to make sure the Jewish identity would never be lost, that the Jewish heart would always keep beating.
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning broadcast on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Toldos. Candlelighting at 413. By the way, uh, I mean, I'll get to Mark Rosenberg in a moment. He's standing by. Baruch Hashem. We get to speak to him about Israel, which is always amazing. But I want to thank, I made the comment about candlelighting before 4 o'clock. 
So I should have guessed which of our amazing listeners would have commented. Of course, Trucker Yitz pointed out that Erev Shabbos uh, this morning was, or candle lighting this morning was in uh, Melbourne, Australia at 3.58. I didn't realize that. I thought Australia was like in the middle of summer now. Um, I got to check that. Catskills around 4.20, Honolulu. Oh, he's he's telling me the times in New York times. Okay, now I get it. So at 3.58 this morning here, they lit candles on Melbourne. Uh, the Catskills are around 4.20 this afternoon, and Honolulu will be 10.31 tonight Eastern time. Got it. Thank you, Trucker Yitz. <laughs> I need better service than that. I need the numbers translated into the proper time zones. Uh, this listener says candle lighting in Sweden is 2.54. Wow. I thought it was cool when it's in the 3 o'clock hour. Sweden's 2.54. This listener says Budapest is 3.30. London is checking in at 3.46. Oak Park, California at 4.33. And they want to hear a Yehuda Green song. And listener Chaya says it's great to hear Galit Sal providing candle lighting and Havdalah times for Shabbos. And boy, is that... I forget sometimes to remind everybody that when we sometimes get down about the situation, we have to remember how lucky we are this generation. A state of Israel, a uh, an official national radio network that is broadcasting candlelighting times and wishing everybody a Shabbat Shalom on Erev Shabbos Toldot Yitzchak. That's how the, that's how the announcer put it on Galitzal just minutes ago. Pretty amazing. Mark Rosenberg is the uh, vice president for Diaspora Partnerships at Nefesh Benefesh. We've got information that people need to know if they want to move to the Holy Land. Mark Rosenberg, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum Siegel. Where it is. We are approaching a 402 Shabbat in Yerushalayim. You do have an official, I think, 359. Am I right that one of those weeks? I, I, I will refuse to see it as a number three yet. I am, I am, I am one of those people that, that are uncomfortable when Shabbos <laughs> comes in with a three in front of it. I think that does happen one or two weeks in Yerushalayim. But again, Yerushalayim, you know, not that I should accuse Jerusalemites of cheating on this, but you know that you do light candles. We for, early. We yeah, do bring it in early, yeah. 40 minutes before uh, sunset as opposed to 18. But of course, yes, Yerushalayim. Candle lighting is early. Everybody wants to speak to someone in Israel. You better get to it in the next <laughs> hour and a half or so. Uh, uh, Mark, you know, the first question, it, it, we're now, now it's uh, pr- practically, uh, what are we now? Uh, in month number nine of the COVID situation. And we know that, especially during the summer months, there was a tremendous spike in interest from North America in terms of Aliyah. Is that steady? Is uh, is now the period of time after Sukkot and the with the school year having begun, are we still seeing this incredible rush of applications for North Americans to head to Israel? So it is a great, great question. We we saw um, we're living the time of the unknown. We're not sure what's going to happen next month or sometimes even next week. And we uh, I'm here to report that we saw a slow dip in the Chagim. Uh, things things returned to normal level numbers, but the past three or four weeks they have returned to numbers that that are are, are double the the comparison to a year before. So. Um, we um, what maybe caught our breath uh, during Cholamoid a little bit, but things are things are trucking along at a, at a COVID pace um, to see that applications and phone calls and emails are still coming in at over a hundred percent the normal rate. It's unbelievable. As COVID spikes, Alian numbers spike. I mean, I, I I know that you're going through a similar thing in Israel here in this area. It's it may not be as bad in terms of the numbers, but they're talking about another a complete lockdown in Israel. 
I, I don't know how so every- I, we, we, we got a little sooner. We're, we're my, my, uh, my fifth graders talking to go, going back to school next week. Finally. Um, so we, we, we were a few weeks ahead of you, not just uh, bringing in Shabbat early, but a few weeks in the second, sir, the second spike of COVID. So things, things are calming down a bunch, but I think that it's really, uh, this is really one of the things that it caused when people stop and think about their planning, um, as long as this stretches out, people are now saying, okay, wait, should I, should I adjust my plans and make sure that Israel is coming instead of my five-year plan? It's going to be my one-year or two-year plan. Right. I think that's one of the big after effects of the, the uncertainty that, that this COVID reality has brought in, not necessarily the health implication, because everyone has the health worry about it here or there. It's a matter of the planning, and that it's causing people to really rec- recalibrate and recalculate uh, what they're doing, and it's it's definitely the the not, our our phone is ringing not ringing off the hook, but it is ringing constantly, and we are adding staff to make sure that we can make sure people get the best resources and advice. All right. So, in addition to what in addition to the uh, to what's happening right now today, as you just described, children going back to school, etc. Mm-hmm. So, so the discussion in Israel's news departments, and it's obvious, we've seen the websites this morning, about a mm-hmm. third lockdown, I assume is speculation about a third wave and, and, and not actually you know, people looking, <laughs> looking at numbers and saying, oh my gosh, we have, there'll be no choice, but we'll have to go into a lockdown again soon. So I didn't go to medical school, and I'm not a politician, but I, I read the news and read what the doctors and politicians are saying. And, I mean, the talk in Israel is much about Hanukkah. Things are going to be shut down again as a precaution from people celebrating and hanging out, maybe eating too many donuts. That could be a, that could be a, a good, a good uh, health benefit to our diets. But there, there's a, a, the, the unknown cycle of this is causing people to say that it's inevitable that there might be a third shutdown. And I think that with the optimist in me wants to say that, we can really beat this, or we can get this, or the vaccine's going to come in time. But I think the preparation of this is going to be, and I'll say one positive, and I'm, I'm relying upon my, my neighbor on the balcony above me, so every Friday night after davening, we talk to each other as we listen to the tefillah down below. He says that it's interesting that fatality rate, the second wave, hasn't been as severe as the first, but nonetheless it's spread and people have got sick. So there's also questions whether the third wave will be as lethal or will be as prevalent, but it seems to be we're heading in a direction where there's going to be concerns for a third shutdown. Unbelievable. Mark Rosenberg's with us, Vice President, Diaspora Partnerships, Nefesh Benefesh. All right, Mark, uh, now that we've uh, laid the groundwork that there's still plenty of interest from North America for people to make Aliyah, uh, let's explain, in addition to the application, other practical ways that they can gather up information and really move this process along. And I think that the the main theme of this conversation would then be the webinars, all the different things that are online, either previously recorded or upcoming events that can be very helpful to people. What do people need to know in terms of real, hardcore education regarding Aliyah and what they could do online? Great. I think that um, aside from Nefesh Benefesh launching a Netflix of, uh uh, a, a Netflix series on Aliyah, we have really started providing serious content that can be either watched live, mostly on Sundays, but the recordings of them for people to um, engage in our professional advice and resources, as well as outside accountants and other health professionals. Um, and that's really great because they hear from the professionals. They can watch it at their own convenience or rewatch it, which we see happening again. And we also provide question and answer sessions. So instead of our staff flying out to the major centers where people are thinking about Aliyah, which is great if you're living in those major centers. Now, everyone across North America, and we're seeing even for interest around the world for our events, are able to log in and connect. 
Um, and the numbers have really blown our expectations for the, the level of engagement to say that 10,000 people actually were, were live with us for events the previous month was mind-blowing to think about that many people. And then and more people are watching the, the reruns of it. So it's not just when you schedule live events that people register or just pop on and watch. They are taking advantage of the fact that you've archived everything and that all these webinars is available are available right now on the site. And by the way, I saw some of them. I don't have the titles in front of me, but some of them are really specific. Some of them mm-hmm. really specifically address either um, uh, targeted occupations or industries. Uh, some target those who have young children. Some target those who have specific questions on retirement, etc. I mean, you're trying really to give a a uh, a, a direction uh, to those who are looking for specific answers to to specific questions. All this all this available on the website, right? Correct, correct. So part of it's a reality and part of it's a luxury. The reality is, and I think that people of our age group are used to watching television live. When most, most people today do not watch live television, they'll either TiVo it or they used to TiVo it, and now, or they'll, watch it on, or they'll, they'll binge watch it whenever they want. Right. So it, it's, it's, that, that's the reality is that suddenly when you can bundle the content and people want to say, okay, these are three articles, so I'm going to sit down and watch episode one, two, and three, it's nice to have it at the convenience that they want. And the luxury part of it is as if we were traveling to be out in Teaneck or go down to Silver Spring as Los Angeles, Chicago, wherever we might go, um, to have an event for bringing a child with special needs or special education wouldn't draw out a lot of people because right. how many people in Chicago might have that concern or in places. But when you can have a niche event to say this is an event for nurses, okay, or nurse practitioners, or this is a this is an event for people who have real estate or working from home for companies based in Israel, we we can obviously provide that and we'll get we're seeing over over 150 200 people coming to that specific topic spread out so you can have that niche entertainment um and it's 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 a thrill to see the engagement that's on it the appreciation is great but the fact that people are engaging and saying this was transformative it allowed me to take one or two or even three steps forward in my decision making process is really giving us great satisfaction and it's going to be a real challenge for us uh, as we hopefully return to flying and, and doing our events, because the face-to-face encounters are really, really important. But there's going to be a need for us to continue this niche content because people really appreciate the focused attention. With all this in mind, you can go to nbn.org.il, nbn.org.il. I'll give you a sample of what they have planned for this weekend. On November the 22nd, this Sunday at 12 noon, there's a webinar on joining the IDF post-college This coming Sunday at noon, there's a webinar on buying a home in Israel. This coming Sunday at noon, this is all, excuse me, this coming Sunday at 1 p.m., this is all Eastern time. Uh, There's a uh, webinar on getting ready for your job search on December the 6th at 1 p.m. Tech Ops with a focus on health tech on November the 29th at 1 p.m., exploring employment in Israel. Again, this coming Sunday, well, this we mentioned, Renting in Israel this coming Sunday, November the 22nd, beginning at 2 p.m. These are just among some, these are some of the upcoming webinars that you can take advantage of at nbn.org.il, nbn.org.il. And again, as Mark said, live content, it's being provided, uh, content that's up there and archived for you to look at and, uh, and review as often as you want, whenever you want is up there on the site as well. Take advantage, everybody, nbn.org.il. It's not just about getting in that application. It's getting answers to your questions. And in terms of these uh, niche uh, programs, uh, really uh, zeroing in 
on the uh, specific questions you might have. I like the fact that you are uh, addressing so many different age groups, those who are in college and thinking about the IDF, those who are uh, older and thinking about retirement, those with young kids and thinking about how to do that, those who may want to rent or buy. I mean, <laughs> it's endless, Mark. It's endless how, how much you can break this down. <laughs> and we, 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 we take suggestions. We're happy to do uh, a session for vegans making Aliyah as well. <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, I'm, I'm very tall. You're very tall people making Aliyah and issues involved in it. We, 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 are, we are thrilled to be responsive and, and to see this need. And I think that when, when, when you, refl- you mentioned earlier about the, 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 the radio in Israel, talking about the, right. the, the Shabbat Parsha and the times. Right. When we take a step back and think about the, the amazing times we live in, um, it's, it's so wonderful to realize that, that people can do it so successfully um, and have the ease to do it. And just because we can't get on a plane right now to visit, um, to check out neighborhoods or check out appliances, we're, we are seeing that people are taking those virtual steps forward, and we're, we're the partners in that process. We want to make sure that everyone who has the desire can make sure that they have the results. Well, and you guys do all of that very, very well, and it's much appreciated. And we never thought you'd be this busy during COVID, and, exa- <laughs> and exactly the opposite happened. And look how many thousands of people want to move from the North American continent to Israel. It is so unbelievable. We are watching Jewish history and Jewish destiny take place in front of our eyes. I just hope everybody realizes it. I think this audience uh, has begun to realize it, and I just hope that that message continues to resonate. Uh, Mark, best regards to everybody. Everybody go to nbn.org.il. The webinars are available, a lot of them this Sunday, as I just said. You heard me uh, list them. Uh, nbn.org.il has all the information on all the uh, informative webinars that are being provided. Mark Rosenberg, uh, Vice President, uh, uh, Diaspora, what did I? Uh, uh, no, uh, no. Partnerships. Thank you. <laughs> Diaspora Partnerships. I'll be, I'll be everyone's partner. Reach out to us. We'd love to help. And Shabbat Shalom to everybody. <laughs> nevis, nevis. Thank you, Mark. And Shabbat Shalom to you. Woo! Hey, it's Friday morning. That's my built-in excuse. I'm exhausted by the time we get to Friday. How can I remember every single title by heart? Come on, everybody. You know how it is on Friday? <laughs> you know how you feel when you get to that Friday uh that Friday wall. Um, we've got more to do on this Friday, including Malcolm Holmline, five minutes from now, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He will be joining us coming up here at JM in the AM. And um, meanwhile, this conversation with Mark Rosenberg reminded me of this selection here at JM in the AM. <laughs>
Shabbos <laughs> lechi
J.M. and the A.M. Friday morning with Shlomi Toysig and uh, Likrat Shabbat, or Likrat Shabbos. Uh, Shlomo Kalbach before that with Voa Ovdim. My thanks to Mark Rosenberg, friends at Nefesh Benefesh, for checking in. Go to nbn.org.il for their webinars. Uh, don't forget, Partners in Torah has a special three-week curriculum right now to study with a partner uh, about Shabbos. Partners in Torah slash Shabbat. Partners in Torah.org slash Shabbat. Partners in Torah.org. Slash Shabbat. They also have the brand new song uh, in partnership with Abe Cohen about Shabbos. Check it out, and um, I think you'll find the curriculum intriguing and uh, inspiring and certainly capable of uh, bringing someone closer to our tradition. Partnersintower.org slash Shabbat. Check it out. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes traditional Kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more. Old world classics, beef fry, kishka, and more. And modern, better for you kosher products, including no nitrate added, reduced fat, and reduced sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique items as well. Visit the website, kosherdogs.net, and try A&H today. Special shout-out to our friends at jewishworldreview.com. If you want thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world to print out before Shabbos, uh, then there's a great resource, jewishworldreview.com, jewishworldreview.com. Check it out 
and enjoy. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Friday for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Malcolm. It's good to be with you. Appreciate that. Any closer to... uh, to a definitive uh, decision as to who will be the next president of the United States, or or a week later, there's not not much has changed on that front. Well, it depends on uh, who you ask. But, uh, <laughs> I think the sands are shifting, and more people are coming to uh, some recognition that uh, the outcome appears pretty definitive, but it's not over till it's over. You know, it's everybody funny. has a right to pursue their legal. Yeah, writes fully, and I get that. But no, what's funny is that as as we get further on, and the group that you just described is you know coming to grips with it, that uh, that you know Joe Biden's the next president of the United States. It seems that as that's happening on the other side, there's parallel activity of showing more and more fraud, and more and more, you know, or, or at least claiming. I should be careful saying saying showing, but claiming more and more fraud and developing you know other theories or realities in terms of uh, how people were playing around with the election system, etc. So I hope you're right that we're closer to a definitive decision. I think it would be best for this country, frankly. Well, we're coming to deadlines that will, in and of themselves, uh, make uh, decisions necessary. And um, I don't know. We'll see. When they say, but if they if they solve it, what will the newscasters do all day? <laughs> I think a lot of people already <laughs> are turning away from some of the news sources that they were. Uh, uh, I think you're right. Glued to over the last four years. Uh, now, when you said Friday's a deadline with Pollard, is that today? This Friday, November the twentieth. Like, is this it? Is, is there a decision that's going to be made in the next few days by the president of the United States, and he actually could be a complete free man and go to Israel? That. It's true. The decision could be not to do anything and not to extend the restrictions. Right. And it's pending. Uh, I don't think that that was a deadline. I think from that point on, when it expired, now we have to see if it's renewed or if ah, in fact so it's not a hard it. right. So it's not a hard deadline. It's just now. No. It's, now it's time for the president to take action one way or the other. Right. And they are waiting every day the pollards to to see very anxiously. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, that this actually take place. And it's funny now reading news sources that did not publish editorials pro Pollard over the years, now basically saying it's time to really just, you know, put this thing to an end and let him and let him go to Israel if he wants to. Look, he's demonstrated such responsibility and restraint yeah, uh, in his wife true. over all this time. You know, to the people for forgotten that he's still uh, under these restrictions. They don't, they, and I think he's demonstrated to any questioning per, per, uh, source that how he will behave and what he will do when he goes to Israel. He should just be allowed to live his life out there. And finally, hundred uh, percent. All right, get me out of trouble for not asking you last week because I have uh, taken seven days of criticism for it. I actually, oh, good. I actually, <laughs> I actually. In all seriousness, and, and this is for a longer conversation, folks, so don't, don't blame me for this soundbite, uh, I may not have realized just how bad the comparison was. What did you think of the Christian Amanpour comparison of the Trump presidency to Kristallnacht, and what do you think of her apology days later? Well, apology in quotation marks, and her, her remarks were really offensive. It diminishes the Holocaust, and... You know, I, I can't get into people's heads to what they intend. And the intent is, I know what the impact is. And and it's not just there. I mean, there was a synagogue in Boston where, where they uh, the clergy 
wrote a letter or, or some memo uh, report to their members in which they drew similar uh, references. It's, it's, people don't understand. This, number one, diminishes the Holocaust. If people think this is what the Holocaust was about, they're not suffering, they're not in prison, they're not in concentration camps, they're not dying uh, from it, and the, the, we, we, we have to be strong in our responses to it in order to make sure that it doesn't become commonplace and it doesn't become that this diminution of the Holocaust, the denigration of the suffering of, of uh, the people during the Shoah, doesn't uh, become acceptable. Yeah, understood. And whether we want to accept or, or, or describe her apology as a sincere apology, I guess, is a subjective, you know, depends on the way people view her in general and the way she handled mm-hmm. the situation. Um, so we were speaking to Mark Rosenberg from Nefesh Benefesh before, and of course I'm sure you've seen the reports. I mean, Israel could actually be going into a third lockdown now with fear that the Hanukkah holiday, which is just two weeks from this coming Thursday night, uh, could, you know, again uh, uh, become a spreader because of parties and people getting together, time off from school, etc. I, I don't know, Malcolm, and, and frankly this is really not a question, but I'm sure you have the same kind of reaction I have. I don't know how people are doing it. I don't know how people are doing it in this country. But those in Israel who we know, many of them live hand-to-mouth. We know that many of them have businesses that depend on, on literal daily income, and, and they have not had anything for all these months. I, I, I don't know. I mean, do you, hear of, uh, do you hear of food organizations in Israel making direct pleas to Jews around the world to help support these families? Like, do you, I, I just don't get what's happening in I hope that between the Israeli government and those organizations, they're able to, to help all these, what must be thousands and thousands of families get through this. Well, you're right on all counts. Uh, I mean, it's bad here, and we have, thank God, a tremendous chesed network. And without the uh, aid package, uh, many people are suffering and businesses still restricted. But in Israel, uh, they went through much longer periods of restriction because the rise was so sharp after a long lull. Yeah. And now, uh, by the way, they, they predicted this, and I have to say that the security agencies have been the best uh, predictors in, in this regard. They, they predicted a second wave and a third wave, year, uh, you know, six months, eight months, ten months ago, and predicted that uh, uh, Hanukkah time would be a period of shutdown. They, they monitor it. They watch the patterns. And, look, we, we just have to get past it. Uh, Baruch Hashem, we see that some... Real progress has been made in terms of the inoculations and the vaccinations that are going to be available, and it could be, you know, in four or five months, uh, you'll have millions and millions of the most vulnerable will be inoculated, and the they're rushing FDA approval uh, starting today, and, and uh, next week I think Moderna is going to do the same after Pfizer today. So there is some light at the end of the tunnel, but. You know, it's it's. There, by the way, there are organizations in Israel that are straining to provide assistance and food and help, and m- many people know those organizations. And the government does have a, a, a safety basket, but it certainly doesn't compensate. You've seen people uh, on TV, the guys, the people whose businesses have been sh- who can't feed their families. It's it's evoked a, a national response. Uh, and I think the campaign that was launched here in Flatbush and elsewhere about buying locally, that people you know, find it convenient to, to go online and, and purchase rather than to make the effort, go to the stores or call them up and buy locally. These guys need it. Amazon doesn't. Amazon will survive. But many of your local stores will not be there after COVID if we don't do it. Well said, and that applies to every community around the country and at this point around the world. Um 
the Pompeo trip to Israel. So first of all, tell me about the significance of where he visited and then tell me what he said and what weight is behind the statement regarding his comments about BDS. So this was historic, and I know that term is used very lightly uh, these days because everything, I think, um, uh, becomes historic. But, I mean, he said BDS is a cancer. It's anti-Semitism, and he's going to crack down on it. That in summary, but he talked, he said they would regard the global anti-Israel BDS campaign as anti-Semitic, and that he will take action against uh, the BDS movement and groups that support it, especially the fact that they they make sure that they get no government uh, assistance. Uh, and you know that in Germany, about a year ago, they, they did say that um, BDS was anti-Semitic, um, but the uh, United States has been reluctant to um, and, and in fact, in the Bundestag, when they made the statement, they said that it, it, it's reminiscent of Nazi era calls to boycott Jews. There, I think the comparison is relevant. Um, and they called on the government not to support things. Now Pompeo comes, and as part of a truly historic uh, visit to the Golan Heights, to the um, uh, and visited the border um, of the Syrian border with Israel. I think he's the first to do it. Then he visited Sagot Winery in the Shnachim, and then he went to visit, uh, which was a first in and of itself. And um, he um, uh, he made this deliberative and statement to the world uh, that products made in the areas under Israel, full Israeli control should be marked as made in Israel. Right. And as you know, in Europe and elsewhere, there are, there are campaigns that uh, to make sure that they don't say that it's made in Israel, that it has to be said made in occupied lands or made in um, things. So in each of these cases, it's a first for a secret, sitting Secretary of State to uh, to visit these areas. And, you know, last year the State Department recognized the Golan after the president's uh, statement. Uh, but this is sort of an implementation of that. Uh, and, uh, you know, he said that settlements can be done essentially in a lawful and appropriate manner, not declaring them illegal. Uh, this was painted by, I forget where I saw it, but this was painted as a final gift to the right-wingers in Israel from the Trump administration, which I found pretty funny, um, only because, I mean, if in fact, and I know that it's hard dealing with this question only because we don't know What's in the mind of the president? Does he really think after January 20th he's still going to be the president of the United States? I don't know. It's possible he does. Uh, but why? Why? Why this type of action? Is this is this simply to set up the next administration? Uh, you know, to uh, uh, by showing that the United States is even deeper uh, with Israel in terms of being on Israel's side on these issues. Is is that why? I mean, what what? Why would he at this time in this time of transition? Um, uh, you know, have the Secretary of State visit and make these kind of statements? First of all, because I think it's what Secretary of State Pompeo believes. He demonstrated this all the time since he's been Secretary of State. Not only is he a very supportive of Israel and supportive, uh, made supportive statements in all these areas till now and the actions that they've taken till now. This is not out of character or uh, a, a diversion from previous policy. Uh, he knows full well that the next administration can do what they want in, in a lot of areas. They're not going to reverse the decisions on Jerusalem and other things, but 
you know, they, they have a different attitude from what we see regarding settlement activity, etc. So I think he was putting down markers. He was making it clear where he stood and where the administration stood. Uh, I don't think that it was, you know, to be an inheritance for the next um, uh, for the next administration necessarily. And, right. um, so I, I see it as as him expressing himself, and he's done. A lot of these kind of things uh, in the past, his statements, et cetera, have been consistent. So until this point, and tell me if I'm wrong, but until this point, any state that went ahead and had a vote on BDS, it was more symbolic? Or were there actual states that declared they're not doing business with those who participate in BDS? Was, was it more of a, a declaration, more of a, uh, a proclamation or citation by a state government, or were there practical implications? No, there are certainly practical implications. Uh, there are states that have adopted um, strong anti-BDS legislation, as states in the United States and some others who have, um, um, you know, denied participation and, and have declared it such. So, no, real implications. But this is the most far-reaching where he and, and says that they're going to identify the supporters and they are going to make sure that they get no government support and will openly declare it as anti-Semitism. As I said to you, Germany right. is the only other one that I think has taken that official position, though many officials have said it as well. Yeah, well, pretty amazing. Uh, it's something for somebody who's from California. You know, it's not like he's from the Bible Belt, Pompeo. <laughs> you know, so pretty interesting, uh, to say the least. Uh, is there an end to the uh, pay-to-slay movement among the Palestinians because of the, uh, 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 well, I guess because they're assuming that Joe Biden's going to be president and they'd like to curry a little bit more favor with the next uh, U.S. administration? Is pay-to-slay over? <laughs> That's a good question. If you trust anything that the Palestinian Authority says, then maybe you would say that they are readjusting it they didn't declare that it would be over, but they said that they would, might might drop some of the people who are recipients. As you know, that just a couple of days ago, they said that they were going to put them all on the payroll, which would obviate, you know, the some of the implications of the law. But they think it would be bypassed the law. Um, but you know, this is hundreds of millions of dollars that they spend every year. They know that they can't get the aid. Israel will continue to deduct the aid that they give them. Uh, from the aid they give them, the amount that they spend on pay to slay, which, for those who don't know, means that they pay every terrorist or or family of a terrorist who is killed in the course of an action. And the more they kill, the more they got. Many of them made two, three times what a policeman, let's say, in the PA would make. Uh, and this was lifetime. Uh, many countries, other countries, have also taken action on this issue. But, uh, and Europeans started to cut back also. And they need the money. Till now, they've not been taking the money from Israel because Israel deducted. Now they they are desperate. They want the um, they want the assistance. They're being attacked by Hamas for giving in. Abbas tried to declare it as a victory, and they obviously mocked him for uh, for that uh, for that declaration. It was in fact um, capitulation, more or less, on his part. Uh, but the the um, uh, question is, will they really sit down to talk? Is this a ploy for the new administration coming in? Uh, they they will will have to see for uh, 
uh, while we have what the, their real policy is. But as you see, that they, they've been working to ban those who make peace with Israel from visiting Al-Aqsa, but going to the, to the Harabayat, that the, um, the delegation from UAE visiting went up there and were, were harassed, and now they issued a fatwa uh, by the Mufti of Jerusalem against it. And then all the Arab countries are saying they don't determine what we're going to do, and have rejected it, essentially. Um, but the... the um, you know, PA is going to go through really serious changes. They have to face an election sooner or later. And, you know, they, they, their economic conditions are so bad. Young people are totally disaffected. So we will have to see what, they, what, what it really means in the long run. But it does show that Taylor Force and all these other efforts were really impactful. Uh, PA um, security cooperation with Israel um is going to end is it a threat what is the uh no it has ended now it's re they're rebuilding it they're reopening it it stopped a, a month ago and then now it's it's part of this deal is that they would reopen security cooperation because they also get money from the united states for that oh i didn't realize that it ended uh, months ago it's america's one and only jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world the web and the alchem single network and of course on the beloved nsn app is corbin in or out of the labor party in the uk okay. uh corbin is in uh they uh, decided to give him a chance to come back into the party, not in a leadership position. Uh, but the problem is that once he's back in, he, he is reasserting himself. It's a disgraceful move on the part of the Labor Party. Um, but, you know, it's not surprising, frankly. Uh, why doesn't any country that might have been involved want to take credit for the uh, assassination of Abu Muhammad al-Masri? I didn't know that nobody took credit. I think it's very clear who took credit for it. And the fact that it was leaked to the New York Times three months later, I mean, it happened in August. Um, and I think the, the timing in part was because there was information that he was planning. Uh, he, he was number two in al-Qaeda, just as you know, and his daughter was killed with him. Miriam was the wife of the son of Osama bin Laden, who had been killed uh, also earlier. Um, he was uh, struck in Tehran, so it sent a message to the government of Iran it's that if you harbor these terrorists, and remember al-Qaeda is Sunni and they are Shiite, the very fact that they're there is, uh, is a disturbing uh, thing, that the, um, more and more information obviously is coming out about uh, that it happened. Some so guys on a motorcycle drove by and eliminated him. He's been there for two decades. For so it puts a lie to the Iranians' claim that they, they have no al-Qaeda there. They are there. And as I said, they were planning attacks against Jews. These are the guys who carried out attacks against synagogues and uh, Jews in the past, as well as against Americans and others. So this is it clearly done by Israel with American intelligence. It was a cooperative venture that they decided for reasons that I don't know to go public and to... Um, to send a warning. It's also a message to the IRGC and to the Iranian uh, government that they're not, that they're vulnerable, that the, and that the world should see what they're, that they're harboring these kind of people, these terrorists. Israeli agents shot al-Masri on the streets of Tehran at the behest of the U.S., officials said, but no one, Iran, al-Qaeda, the U.S., or Israel, has publicly acknowledged a killing. No, that, that, that's not correct. The New York Times is incorrect? 
No, the New York Times is correct, but they, how do you think they least re- released it? So we just have to read a little bit between the lines of that statement to get to the truth of it, which is they're saying nobody is officially thinking, but we have the information. It was clearly given to them by intelligence, probably American intelligence, with the approval of, of the Israelis, um, to send a, a very uh, strong message, because at the time they didn't acknowledge it, and they, they don't even acknowledge that these guys are there, the Iranians. So... It was very important that the the message get out at a time when we see Iran moving ahead with their nuclear program, moving ahead now at Natanz in this underground facility where they are putting in the UF-6, uh, the, the uranium hexafluoride gas, into more advanced um, IR-2 instead of IR-1, which is what is required. They are violating every standard of the JCPOA. Uh, and... We know that uh, uh, they are in every area of it that they are uh, advancing, and this is, uh, uh, you know, this is of of great concern. Obviously, we see the more adventurous nature in, in what they did in the Golan, putting the IEDs again in in the Golan. This wouldn't happen without Iran and Israel's holding Syria and Iran accountable for it. Thank God they were detected before they go off. These were planted on the roadsides in the the strip between Israel and Syria, which is patrolled by Israeli forces, in the very location where Israel had built the hospital that treated thousands of Syrians. That very location is where they placed these uh, IEDs. Uh, and um, the, the, as you know, that this is not the first time that they've tried. They do it through tunnels, through drones, everything to try to penetrate uh, this this was uh, to penetrate the Israeli border. This was the Quds Force Unit 840 that is res, uh, is believed to be responsible. And thank God the military uh, engineers were able to dismantle them without um, anybody being hurt. But uh, the last attack, when these guys tried to plant them, uh, they were caught, and four of them were killed by uh, as they crossed into Israel. So this is an ongoing effort by Iran. Uh, backed in uh, militia in Syria to approach the Golan, to be able to penetrate, to get across, to kill Israeli soldiers. Uh, and that's why these kind of warnings by Israel that they're all vulnerable. And the leaders are vulnerable. The, the terrorists who carry it out are vulnerable. is so important. Um, if Joe Biden, assuming he's becoming president, if Joe Biden is uh, anxious to bring the nuclear deal back, so... I read that there's two problems. Number one, the sanctions now the Trump administration has and will continue to until they leave the White House to put on Iran could be a major obstacle. And there are elections going on in Iran in June, which also could be an obstacle. Do you think those two things could prevent a new deal from a Democratic administration? Well, first of all, you can't just uh, impose a new deal. You can't just say tomorrow, you know, we're going to go back to the JCPOA. Uh, Mr. Biden has made clear that he's, he wants a revised uh, deal. They need longer terms, longer expiration terms, because many of them are already run out, as you saw in the arms embargo, which expired, and now nothing has taken its place, and in the, in the U.N., the countries refuse to, to uh, extend it. Um, so the, the, the being able to go back into a new deal is not just a decision you make by fiat. You have to have the conditions for it. You are right, there are presidential elections in May or June, and 
that will be a factor because there's there's a lot of dissension about who will replace um, the president, whether they will use Rouhani uh, to reach out to the administrations or Zarif to create a positive relationship or to try and signal a shift. But, they, you know, they depend on the hardliners. The people in, in Iran would certainly probably go along with it. And by the way, the United States imposed a lot of new sanctions just this week against the so-called charities associated with the Supreme Leader and um, uh, against other entities. They, they did it against the uh, other aspects of the oil industry, and especially as it's come out, that Iran has increased greatly their exports of uh, the daily exports of oil, uh, mostly to through Iraq and Turkey, uh, clandestine, or by ships where they transfer at sea to other ships, so it's harder to, to detect. And selling to Venezuela, for instance, um, uh, significant quantities of, of uh, uh, oil and gas. And so uh, Iran, which is on very delicate footing in economically, Unemployment is huge. Their, their currency is collapsed. They need it out. They don't want to make any con- public concessions in this regard. Uh, that would affect the uh, both the domestic situation and the, what the Basijian and all the extremists there will do. And at the same time, the have an eye on the election that's coming up. Um, what do you think of this report that the President of the United States seriously has considered a military action against Iran? Well, he, he sees that we're, what direction Iran is going in. I just cited a few of the examples. I mean, th- there's so much, uh, unfortunately, you know, we need the three-hour show to really go into the details about um, what they're doing. You know, there was just meetings in uh, South America of the BRIC nations, uh, Venezuela, Russia, Iran, and China, but the, and Zarif, the foreign minister of uh, Iran, visited Nicaragua and uh, and Chile and he visited and the Russian ambassador uh, also met with the new Bolivian head of state president Arce who is by the way moving back towards relationships with um, uh, Iran and and talks about the need to restart nuclear cooperation with with Russia we see all of these countries now being more assertive the return of Eva Morales uh, who settled in the cocoa regions of uh, uh, Chapare, and we uh, and so we see that Bolivia has moved back from the progress that was made in the recent years under the the outgoing government. Uh, now is being reversed, so we don't have to look far away to see how extensive Iran's penetration, together with others, is, and the threat that this uh, means because they can use Venezuela to spread weapons throughout the region. In the same way that uh, Russia, for instance, is building a new base in in, um, in the Sudan because it will be a base from which they can operate throughout uh, Africa. There's so much going on, and we see that the enemies are filling voids that are left. So, you know, removing American troops or signaling that we are going to lessen our commitment in the region is is uh, opens the door for others to fill the void. And he's doing that, the president, with... Uh... A lot of uh, a lot of people supporting that decision about the removal of troops from the area. Well, they have, people don't want to see American troops. I don't want to see American troops put in danger either. But we have to think about what the what the consequences are. You see in Iran, in Syria, how they are expanding their their influence. Thank God they're all fighting each other still. 
but the, the um, you know, we, we have to send a message that we support those who do the right thing. You saw the Bahraini foreign minister visited Israel this week, uh, announced that he wants to open an embassy, held meetings with the prime minister, the president, the defense minister, many others. Um, the, the, uh, you know, but we have to send a show them that there, there is uh, benefits and that we will be strong in our backing, both of Israel and, and the positive forces in the region, and set back the others. I think the president was exploring the possibility of some sort of an action because Iran is violating the JCPOA in every respect, in, mil- in the development of their missile capacity and weapons, in their um, support for terrorism, their regional uh, efforts to, to destabilize the region. So I think he was looking if something was possible, and I think the conclusion was that uh, they dissuaded him from it. The report from Syria was that Israeli, or regarding Syria, was that Israeli aircraft attacked targets in Damascus hours after IDF troops uncovered and disarmed a number of explosive devices planted inside Israeli-controlled territory on the Golan Heights. Uh, this didn't get much attention, frankly, but uh, I, I mean, is there a Syrian reaction to this, or they just remain quiet even when they're attacked by Israel? No. Uh, generally, by the way, Israel has struck back hundreds, thousands of times against uh, Iranian and Syrian shipments of weapons and there's been no retaliation because they know the price of retaliation and the fact that they carry out these covert actions, which are really um, not very courageous to sneak in the middle of the night and plant IEDs uh, along the border. But the, as I, I spoke about, the reason that prompted that attack was the placement of the IEDs in along the Syrian uh, uh, border in the Golan. Uh, Israel hit back. They hit Iranian and Syrian targets. And they say we will hold Syria accountable, and three Syrian soldiers were killed in the action. And usually Israel maintains a policy of ambiguity about these things, but in this case they went public because it was a retaliatory act and the message that they wanted to, to get out clearly. So they hit um, you know, explosives uh, and munitions places, storage places, and other targets uh, right away so that there would be a clear message that if you continue to try to penetrate our border, you will pay a heavy price. Right, but there was always fear in the old days about Syrian retaliation, but I guess they retaliate in a way that's not uh, <laughs> that's not public or something that they wouldn't tell everybody about because they're afraid of what Israel's reaction would be, I would assume. Yes, yeah, so the public retaliation is very limited, right. and uh, as long as the Russians don't allow the any aircraft systems to be activated, or Israel has found a way to to bypass it. You know that Israel just finished one of the biggest um, simulations of war in the north against Hezbollah in Iran, uh, and they sent some very clear messages with demonstrations of air and land power um, that could be uh, a- activated. So, and by the way, they found more stuff. They found a backpack with with more bombs that were ready to be planted. So this is, it's not the first time that they've done it, and I'm sure it won't be the last, but when you raise the stakes, and this is the message democracies have to learn, the Europeans keep sending the message of weakness. That does not work. That only encourages terrorists. But that's what, but I wonder about that. I, I know what's going on, not that I can criticize the Israeli defense forces, but you wonder how the enemy does get in to plant these IEDs. You wonder how they get into, you know, to, to, to set things up on the border when, when we would assume that the Israeli 
a presence on the border with Syria, especially you know, I mean, up in the Golan, is very, very tight and very difficult for any enemy to move through. Well, it's not as tight as you think, uh, and there are areas near Kunetra, et cetera, where people live and they can get across the border. Uh, Israel does have very good surveillance, and that's how they often detect these things. Um, as you remember, when they try to get through um, the, during the winter and the snow, and they tried other times that Israel eliminated the, the terrorists or captured them or you know caught them even before they crossed the border and they, they ran back. So Israel's, it, it, but if you know the terrain and you you understand, it's a huge job. You can't just put a camera there and and see everything. They have cameras, they have detection systems, they have uh, soldiers in place. But it's a long border, and for people to, you know, two or three guys to sneak up and to place um, these devices uh, to be to be exploded later, not while they're there, but to be exploded as Israelis drove by on the patrols. And the IDF has a lot of other borders to worry about as well. Uh, exactly. Finally, Malcolm, uh, we talked about, it's funny, we talk about BDS, the Secretary of State of the United States makes statements like that, but San Francisco State University, you know, has uh, a decision made that, uh, you know, that they, that they are uh, essentially pro-BDS is how it ends up. So the battles on the college campuses and so many other areas, uh, we may have some of the states covered. We may have the national government making uh, pro- proper statements, but when it comes to the college campuses and groups like that, there's still plenty of work to do. There is. There were a number of campuses where uh, the federal government, by the way, stepped in. NYU is one. Uh, now Urbana is being investigated. University of uh, in the Urbana, Illinois, um, but the San Francisco State was actually pursued, especially by Lawfare Project and others then, and got an agreement that was signed. It went to court. And on the first day, San Francisco State capitulated when they saw how much evidence there was. And students who had the courage to stand up and be plaintiffs, the, the complainants in the cases, um, and the uh, um, university finally uh, signed a very extensive agreement which would bar the kind of things that took place when a Leila Khalid is invited to a university, a terrorist, when others, and that the rights of Jewish students still are not fully respected. And part of that is not to support BDS, and part of it is, you know, it's about the, the security of, of Jews on campus. And unfortunately, it's a situation we're encountering across the country, communities, but particularly on campuses where, and most campuses where you don't have students. So it's much quieter than it might be otherwise. Uh, this year, but it's still a very immediate danger, and that's in part why the secretary's statement, but also what the Department of Education has done in, in this regard to to try to counter this, uh, the BDS, etc., movements, uh, and they are hateful, they are anti-Semitism. This is not criticism of a particular policy or something of that kind. So we should be very clear about the nature of BDS and why this kind of the legislative efforts on the state level, city levels, and uh, colleges, and demanding that everybody adopt the IRA definition, the international um, de- definition of anti-Semitism. So you have a standard by which to go because they even have examples attached to it. And many countries, about 30 countries, have already adopted it, and we're pressing now that every Jewish organization and every community adopt it so that we have a standard, um, because the rise of anti-Semitism, despite COVID, continues. The numbers are outrageous. The FBI came out with a report, and believe me, it is a fraction of the reality. It is not a true, a true accounting, 
Uh, and there it shows the, the, the tremendous increase in the number of anti-Semitic attacks over the last year. But most of them do not get reported. Police departments don't want to report it. People don't report incidents. We have to really get our community to understand that they have to report it and demand that it be listed as a hate crime. All right, Malcolm, we'll let everyone know during the week in terms of our plans for Thanksgiving weekend for next Friday. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Have a great Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Fridays with us here at JM in the AM. I want to call your attention to our friends at shopeichlers.com. There you will see an amazing website, very organized by category with thousands and thousands of gifts and different items that you might want to consider for the upcoming Hanukkah holiday. Also, check out that banner at shopeichlers.com. It's the first thing you'll see in green on the website. Same-day delivery to most neighborhoods in the New York, New Jersey area. Look at that when you go to the site, shopeichlers.com shopeichlers.com, and we thank them. This time each every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning. Nachum, good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Toldos. Parshas Toldos is the only Parsha about Yitzchak Avinu. There's so much in this parasha, the origins of anti-Semitism. Not only the anti-Semitism, which is spelled out for us in the parasha regarding the Be'eros, the wells that Yitzchak uh, digs, but rather from the very beginning, namely after 20 years of marriage, Yitzchak and Rivka are blessed that they will have a child, and the Torah tells us, she's experiencing Rivka, a very difficult pregnancy, and she goes to the Dros Hashem, to Davin, she goes to Shem, right, the son of Noah, for the uh, understanding as to what's happening in her life, and on interesting, on Vayisrotsitsu, which means literally that the children were agitated within her, the rabbis tell us that already in the womb there was this conflict between Esav and Yaakov, and that Esav wants to beat up Yaakov already in the womb, and Interestingly, which is what I'd like to focus on in a moment, Rashi tells us in the name of the rabbis that the word Vayisrotetsu, not a common word, the Shorish might be Ritza to run, and basically we see from within utero already when Rivka passes a house of idolatry, Esav is anxious to come out. And when she passes the yeshiva of Shem Ve'ever, Yaakov, already it's in the womb. And as we are told in, not next week, but two weeks in Parshas Vayishlach, we're taught halacha. What does halacha mean? There's an absolute law. As if it is built into nature, 
that Esav Sone Liakov. Esav has a hatred for Yaakov. Please, God, we'll come back to this. So the Torah tells us the first important episode of the two boys is on the day that Avraham Avinu passes on and Yaakov prepares a nozid, he prepares a stew, a nozid adoshim. Rashi tells us it was a lentil soup, the lentil being ground, and we can relate to this, that this was, our rabbis say, a sudas havra'a, the first meal that the mourner eats when he comes back from the burial. And we have today the bagel, the hard-boiled egg, the roundness of these foods symbolize for us, and especially for the mourner, the continuity of life. So Esau comes and says, and the Torah describes his coming from the field. Esau comes from the field, and the Torah says that what? And he is tired. A rather strange and glaring phrase. You're tired? Lay down. And so there are those, such as the Chizkuni, that learn. Literally, hunters sometimes might spend days in the forests and the fields, and believe it or not, surrounded by all the animals, but not anything to eat, he's exhausted. However, comes Rabbi Yashiv, Zechrona Levracha, and in his Divrei Agada, points out that the Torah is teaching us a very important point, namely, that when Esav comes back from the field, and Vuhu Oyev, he is tired, this tiredness is really a demonstration and informing us of not only a physical tiredness, but rather an emptiness, a lack of meaning, a lack of fulfillment, a lack of purpose in his life. And that is what the Torah is communicating to us. And the contrast between the two brothers. One would imagine that Esav has all the freedom in the world. He can do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, to whom he wants. And indeed, the rabbis tell us that on this day, he committed many of the most serious offenses and sins within our peoplehood. But guess what? It doesn't satisfy him. And Yaakov, on the other hand, what is he? He's the, quote, yeshiva man. He sits and learns with all these, quote, unquote, restrictions, what you eat, when you eat, and in all other areas of his life. There's not a single area of life that doesn't have the parameters of Torah telling him what to do 
and when to do. And so, one looking at these two brothers would say to themselves, Oi, poor Yaakov, who has all these restrictions, and lucky Esav, who's got all the freedom in the world. And the Torah is giving us tremendous insight and guidance and telling us that when the day is over, what is Esav? He is Oyev. He is unfulfilled. As we find in the sixth chapter of Koheles, verse 7, Kolamau Ho'adam Lefiu. A person strives in this world for all kinds of pleasures, and yet, Gam HaNefesh Lo He's never going to be satisfied. The new car, the new phone, the new, the new, the new, the new, is only going to excite him for the moment. It's not lasting. The only thing which is lasting is that which gives satisfaction to the nefesh, to the soul, and that is Torah and mitzvot. And there, the more you have, the more you want, and that constant sense of freshness and excitement is what gives meaning and purpose to his life. So it is extremely counterintuitive. And that we learn from Yaakov <clears throat> that the real enjoyment of this world comes when it's within the misgeret, when it's within the rubric of Ruchnius of spirituality. What makes the Friday night meal so special is not only the special foods that we eat on Friday night and Shabbos. What makes the Friday night meal so special is the Zemiros, the Divrei Torah, elevate the beautiful and wonderful food that we eat, and it raises that to a level of spirituality as well. This is the secret of the Jew, and this is his happiness. And so with this, we can understand, going back to that Vayisrotzetzu, that the brothers were fighting in the womb. So the second interpretation of Rashi, whereby Rashi quotes the Yalkut Shimoni, and he says that the two brothers were merivim, they were arguing, binachalas shnei olamos. They were arguing over the inheritance of the two worlds, this world and the next world. Wait a second, what kind of arguing over these two worlds? I'm sure Esav would say to Yaakov, you take <coughs> olam haba, the world to come, I have Olam Hazeh, and there it is. But the answer is, my friends, wow. You know what comes out? Yaakov has both. He has certainly the world to come, but he even has this world as well, by infusing this world with spirituality. I want to share with you <clears throat> an exceptional story. The story is about a gentleman, still an elderly man, still alive, 
Baruch Hashem in Yerushalayim, and his name is Reb Shlomo Reichenberg, who was unfortunately in the concentration camps when he was 16 years old. And he writes, unfortunately, of the horrors that he experienced in the camps. And one day, another Jew started literally beating him up. Unbelievable. And he kept on saying, what are you doing? Come on, I'm a Jew like you. What are you doing? Why are you hitting me? So the other Jew who was doing the beating said, come with me to barracks number 10. And there it was known that there was a wise Jew who would resolve differences between the Jews. He takes him to barracks <coughs> number 10, and he says to the shofate, the Jewish judge, he said, this man beat me up. Gewalt. And the judge asks him, why'd you do this? Are you ready? He said, I beat him up because I saw, I watched him, and I saw him smiling twice. How could you smile when we are all starving? It must be that you are cooperating with the Nazis, Yemach Shemam. It must be that you are telling on us. And therefore, I beat him up because how could he do this to us? The judge points to the young man and says, Well, what have you got to say? And the young man answered, Do you want to know why I was smiling? I was able to smuggle a pair of tefillin into the camp. And every day, or better still, forgive me, before dawn, we put on the tefillin. Somebody stands at the door, we put them on, take them off. And during the day, in order to keep me going, I think about the tefillin. And so, it is the smile that comes to my face from the ability to be Moser Nefesh for Hashem, and this is what keeps me going. Umi ka'amcho Yisrael. Parshas Toldos, among its many lessons, teaches us, give out. What brings happiness to a Jew, and what brings happiness to Esau? And there's such a world of difference. And finally, points out the Chassam Sofer. Is it not strange that as a result of this experience of Yaakov giving Esau from the uh, soup, Esau gets his name Edom, right? What does it say? That when Esau comes, he says to his brother, Haliteni Give me from this what red stuff. And we know what that means. Therefore he was called Edom. Why call him Edom? 
It's not the red of the soup that nourished him. It was the soup, as crazy as it sounds. Call him soup. Why call him Edom? And the Chassam Sofer says so powerfully. When it comes to food, my friends, there are different aspects and different levels of pleasure. The first thing is, how does the food look? It's pleasant. It's color. And then afterwards, you chew it. Afterwards, you swallow. Afterwards, you feel satiated. There are different levels and degrees of pleasure regarding food. What did Asaph see? The soup was symbolic of Asaph's Weltanschauung. The soup was symbolic of Asaph's approach to life. Asaph only saw the superficial. And think about it. The color is the first thing that goes even before the food hits the taste bud. It's already gone. You don't see it anymore. Ah, oh, Alkain says the Chassam Sofer, Koroshmo Edom. That's why he was called Edom, because of the superficiality. And I'd like to say, and what do we see with color? We begin the Birkas HaMazon, and we thank God for nourishing us. Bechein, Bechesed, Uvarachamim. What does that mean? Hashem could nourish us with black and white. But no, look at the salad that, please God, you're going to have. And look at the very different colors. So not only do all these different vegetables nourish us, but just the looking at them gives us pleasure as well. Look at the difference between a Yaakov and an Esav. And this is what the Torah is teaching us, that this perspective on life is our prerequisite for Kabbalah's HaTorah. Shabbat Shalom to all. J.M. in the A.M. on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. My thanks to Rabbi Yudin, of course, his words about Parshas Toldos. Much appreciated. It's Erev Shabbos, Parshas Toldos, with candlelighting time here in New York, 413. Make sure you know when things start where you are. If you want to take a look at the NSN app, a lot of people have been telling us what time Shabbos starts, especially after my comments about those places that start Shabbos in the 3 o'clock hour. And yes, a place that was uh, cited on our app that actually starts Shabbos in the 2 p.m. hour later today. How do you like that? To so make sure you uh, get where you need to go on this uh, era of Shabbos in the proper time because candlelighting is earlier than we are used to. This coming Thursday is Thanksgiving. We are here Thanksgiving Thursday and Thanksgiving Friday. We are here at JM and the AM, even on the legal holidays. Make sure you are tuned in all week long. But if you're looking for us on a day that you're a bit more relaxed, yes, we will be here uh, with you on the NSN app at NachumSiegel.com and through all of our listening venues. Uh, Atid at Home is happening live from Israel this coming Sunday, the Joseph Kushner Hebrew Academy and the Ray Kushner Yeshiva High School present and invite you to participate in Atid from Home. Live from Israel, it's Master Mentalist Lior Shushard. This coming Sunday, 6.30 p.m., that's Eastern Time. Registration, sponsorship information, etc. jkha.org slash Atid. jkha.org slash Atid. For more information, you can contact Sarah Levinson at area code 862-437-8001. 
862-437-8001. The Atid Society is chaired by Batsheva and Mari Halpern, who always put together an amazing event each and every year. And this year, I'm sure, was a big challenge what to do with the whole COVID-19 situation. So they've come up with a great way to stay home, still support the Atid Society, and be entertained by the master mentalist himself. With us live via telephone, we have Rabbi Eliezer Rubin, who is, of course, the head of school at the uh, Joseph Kushner Hebrew Academy, Ray Kushner Yeshiva High School, and Jeremy Halpern. He and Dove Lando continue to be and serve as co-presidents of the school. And the last time that uh, the three of us were together was during our visit, our on-air visit, uh, to the Kushner schools, believe it or not, just a year ago, and if you would have told any of the three of us that we would not see each other for a year, not at least uh, reconvene at least once on the campuses of the Kushner schools, I don't think we would have believed it. Rabbi Rubin, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, and thank you so much for having us, and uh, thank you on behalf of the entire school, and it's an honor to be on your show, and I hereby now invite you back to be our first visitor post-COVID-19 and you can transmit your wonderful show around the world right from our hallway. Don't laugh because, uh, and Jeremy Halpern, uh, welcome to you as well. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Nachum. An honor to be with you, and I appreciate very much uh, the opportunity to speak to you this morning. I thank you for that. The reason I'm saying not to laugh is because I said to myself, if I would go ahead and say, hey, it's time to tour the campus and see the incredible facility in 2020. I don't know, Rabbi Rubin, if, if because... You and many other schools, let's give credit where credit is due, you and many other schools in our community are doing such a remarkable job, Bali Einhara, Bali Einhara managing the whole COVID-19 situation. I don't even know if you would let someone like me come onto the campus and into the building right now. So we may have to actually... No. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, not, it's not someone like you because uh, there isn't anybody like you, but unfortunately, we're not uh, permitting any outside guests into the school for now. Uh, it's We realize that in Parshiot of Chai, Sarah, and Lechacha, and Vallera, we should have an open tent on all sides. But we're more learning and teaching about it at the moment than we're actually practicing. But we know as soon as these doors are ready to open, we're going to be so excited to have welcome everybody back to our magnificent campus. Again, all all Ayanharas, please God aside, why is it in your estimation that, thank God, for you and many of your colleagues, especially those in the Yeshiva League, and we take such great pride in the schools in the Yeshiva League, why has it, thank God, gone this well? I, I'm really glad you're mentioning it because we really, the Yeshiva Elementary School, high school community is really standing out as a yes. model for yes. every other community to follow. And yes. Yes. the dedication yes. Yes. and devotion of all of our Yeshiva, individually and collectively, to really reinvent ourselves uh, has been an inspiration and validation for all of us who are committed to Torah education. I can't speak to you into why, but I can tell you that uh, it's, it definitely has to do with uh, the the amount of energy and effort and selfless devotion of our faculty, our administration, our support, our care, our compassion, the flexibility that we all are demonstrating on a day-to-day basis, the endless amounts of energy, and the concepts that we're, that the school itself uh, is creating community and normalcy for all of our fa- children and our faculty. Yep. It has to come from a real deep resilience, and, and perhaps this is certainly the answer for us, I'm sure for other schools. Strong schools have strong responses. Yep. And this was, this was the test. It was a, this is a test on our seams, and we're, we're, we're flying through it. It's, it's a big challenge. Every day you wake up and you say, let's go, God, Kaddish Baruch will give us health for the next day. 
But even with the challenges, the school is resilient, it's strong, it's flexible, and we're recreating and re-imaging ourselves that we can meet this challenge and rise above it. Yeah, I know people might think I'm overstating this, but but I, I believe it's accurate. Uh, you and your colleagues are the envy of other school systems. I mean, around this country, certainly public school systems. We see what's going on in New York. I could speak to that you know, on a personal level. As my wife teaches in the New York City public school system. Uh, I mean, you are the envy of the way it's been handled and the way life has gotten back to quote-unquote normal for so many students has been just exemplary and uh and i'm a i'm a i'm a parent i'm a parent of school-aged children and i i worried as i'm sure so many parents did during the summer you know are we just going to go through a repeat of what happened in april may and june and and if it would have been that god knows what kind of disaster would have led to frankly um right. jeremy halpern you're you're co-president of uh, the kushner schools i mean <laughs> i don't think anybody wishes to be president during uh, challenging times i don't know if there's been more challenging times than covid19 recently when it comes to uh, education and, and all types of education not just jewish education from your perspective how have things been going and did you also have that fear that god forbid this school year could begin the way the last one ended so uh First of all, I have to say that uh, in Baruch Hashem, we have been very, very lucky. And, and I say we, in the royal we, in, in the entire yeshiva community, yep. that our heads of schools, our administrators, our teachers, uh, and, and the parents, the body themselves, have, have really stepped up and started to plan early on. I'm talking end of April, early May, the meetings were starting, how to do this, ways to do it. And I think that is what separates the yeshiva world from some of the other school systems, where they just didn't have the ability to do this. Yeah. Uh, you know, you say, is it a challenging time? Yes, it's, it is a very challenging time, although I'm sure that there have been big challenges to our school and other schools throughout the years, uh, to many other people who had to step up at that time. Uh, you know, a lot of times it was about money or different issues, facilities. Thank God we had the good years before this. We were able to be fiscally responsible. Uh, but at the end of the day, it comes down to people. It, it comes down to Rabbi Rubin. We, we have the best. And I get, now I'm going to talk specifically about Kushner. We are so blessed. Hashem sent to us our angel, our, our, our leader, in Rabbi Rubin, who's not just the, the greatest rabbi, the, the greatest leader, but he, he's truly the person who exemplifies everything that's right in the yeshiva world and takes it to the next level. And he's always looking out ahead and wondering and worrying what will be the next challenge. And yes, we didn't know. Nobody could have predicted a year ago when we sat uh, in, the, uh, uh, in, in the front of our school and had your show, we couldn't have predicted that, that we'd be in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> but Rabbi Rubin was predicting that, oh, we have to prepare for the future. We have to be improving our situation. We have to make our sciences better, our math better. We have to be uh, increasing the, 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 uh, the abilities of our, of our talented teachers and administrators. And all that came into play. It's incredible. Baruch Hashem, 12, 14 years ago, we started this process, which uh, I, I showed you when you were there a year ago, yep. uh, selling some land in the back yep. and building this amazing new facility on the side with three basketball courts and tennis courts and soccer and a running track and an amphitheater. And we thought we were doing this for a nice thing for amenities for the school. It turned out to be the greatest thing that occurred to us. Uh, we were able to have outside facilities for all of our classes. I think the rabbi also ordered early on 90 tents, I think. Every single classroom has an outdoor tent. Uh, we have all these things going on. And then we became an asset for the community, too, where these facilities are all lit up. So every night since, uh, I want to say, June, uh, and every weekend, the facilities are being used not for Kushner activities, but for other schools' activities, for other uh, basketball uh, tournaments and, and all sorts of different things going on. 
and we're able to be this, you know, uh, this light in, in, into the world here as, as a positive uh, a benefit for the community. And all that comes because you have somebody, you have the rabbi, Rabbi Rubin, sitting here and showing us all how to look into the future and be prepared for whatever comes. Yeah, well, there's no secret that you have great leadership. And I want to just say one thing about your earlier point, and that is you're right. All your predecessors had a lot of challenges, and especially the financial ones are really difficult. But this challenge, what's unique, is that everybody has to step up. And I'm talking about lay leaders, who are the ones who normally are turned to during financial crises, teachers, administrators, students. Every student in the school has to step up in this situation. So when you talk about leadership, you have to motivate, you know, hundreds, sometimes maybe more than a thousand people collectively to to get this done. And that is what I think makes this situation unique. Uh, Joseph Kushner, Hebrew Academy, Ray Kushner, Yeshiva High School, Rabbi Ruben and Jeremy Halpern are both with us live via telephone Sunday night. Lior Sushard. Now, Jeremy, you're familiar, very familiar with the Atid Society chair people, Batsheva and Murray Halpern. Uh, was there a a, a, a very um, active back and forth about what would be done with the annual in-person Atid Society event? Oh, my God. I, I think just <laughs> as we finished, figured out how to finish up doing a virtual dinner, which was all new to everybody. Uh, we got Murray started thinking immediately, well, Murray Batsheva, what are we going to do this year? And back and forth, how do you do it? And, you know, everybody was doing virtual programming where they had that live singing and, 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 and comedians, and they're all great. Right. But it just doesn't come off the same as when you have it in person. Right. Um, and uh, uh, I, I, I'm going to give Murray all the credit. I believe he was the one who came up with the idea. I, I'd actually seen Lior a couple times in Israel, and he, he was incredible. And uh, uh, Murray, I think he, he found that, that Lior had set up this, this unbelievable studio to be able to do this um, live from Israel to, you know, thousands of people, uh, which is an amazing thing. I don't, we're all going to, God willing, we'll see it Sunday night. It's going to be great. Uh, and he went back and forth and going through here to New York, to, to Israel, you know, all, all by Zooms, set this up. And him and Batsheva have been working tirelessly. I can tell you just the intro, which is a six minutes and 13 seconds long, and only Murray would think to even do it that way, to make sure it's six minutes and 13 seconds long, right. which I thought is incredible. Uh, he works, he, there's been 10 versions. Uh, Batsheva has worked with our, uh, our, our um, the great administrators within the school and the staff in the school, and of course, some of our lay leaders who are part of the event committee and everything, to just create a, a really special at-home program. But Murray's biggest thing from day one was this has to be attached to Israel. Right. This is a Zionist school, what we talk about is our connection with Israel, and when he came up with the Lior Shashard live from Israel, that's when it hit home for him that this is what we need to do. Very cool. It's happening 6.30 this coming Sunday night, and I guess one of the advantages is that people who normally would not come to your theater, your beautiful arena in Livingston, uh, because whatever, too far, other things scheduled, etc., here have an opportunity to participate. I mean, you literally could have people around the world log on support the uh, institution, at the same time be part of this entire event. I'm assuming that what I'm saying is correct. That is correct. Uh, we have uh, a wonderful turnout, and you know, under Murray and Batsheva's leadership, uh, he galvanizes the community to participate in this, in this fun, entertaining event, which we all know we need a respite from the pressures and tensions of COVID, and especially to cohere around the values and the vision of the school 
uh, is something which gives us another boost of energy. Uh, the, the Jeremy and Dove are just magnificent, sensational presidents, four more years easily, uh, without <laughs> no recount necessary. They are just, they stand out as the visionary leaders. And Murray and Batsheva, really, they lead with passion. And that really reflects so much of what's happening in our school. And it's, uh, it, it validates and it reinforces uh, the mission by knowing that our lay leadership is so supportive and so and partners with us. And well, I just want to say one thing, now. I mean, sure. you, know, you asked me about before uh, uh, what the, differentiates us. And I'll, you know, Ken, I, I know that my colleagues in other the schools would say the same. Well, everybody's got I, their strengths. There, there, there was something about what we thought of early on, which is, needs to be amplified. We decided back in May that we're not going to be wistful and regretful and to yearn and to pine for some new normal. We're going to look at 2021 as a new opportunity to reimagine and to re- reinvent ourselves under these different, different conditions. We're not throwing our hands up. And I thought of an old term that used to be in Sahel in the olden days, no longer probably in use. Right. If these are our conditions, we're just going to make it work. And using the majestic 25 acres of our campus with our six beautiful acres of recreational space gave us spectacular and creative opportunities. We had a Chumash play and a Sidur play, Chumash and Sidur plays outside on the track where we had all the classes, socially distant parents um, watching so they could see their children. No, And I said to the parents, there's no MP. We missed the Epstein-Stein Auditorium. We missed the audiovisual. We missed the lights and the, and the pictures. But what we did is that we focused on the core value of the school, and that is the transmission of Torah and the giving of the Sidurim so students could now be part of our Jewish community. And that focus really is something which it gives us a new sense of celebration. We had Abraham tense, um, sophomore night in on the field, senior night comes into the barbecue. And in the school vision, we really added some great new programs this year. I'm very pleased to announce, and we'll be announcing it more prominently, that we started a four-year sequence of computer science wow. under the direction of someone who is a world-known computer scientist, Dr. Sternetta, who is the co-inventor of blockchain. Uh, so you could look, Google him. And <laughs> he's in our hallways teaching our students uh, from all grades about computer science from different perspectives. And um, we're also, uh, have, uh, we realize that because we now have students who are a little bit limited in moving around the community, uh, we have now pizza lunches with Judaic Studies faculty, so there's outdoor learning, uh, and you give pizza to teenagers, and that's, you have an automatic shear. Uh, so we've really, been, we've really been creative under these circumstances. And the last thing I just want to point out is that the, we started a seminar this year, uh, thanks to the funding of Ariel Nelson, uh, to partner with the St. Benedict's Prep School in Newark to study uh, the similarities and differences of racism and anti-Semitism. And 16 of our students and 10 of the St. Benedict's students are studying weekly, co-taught by two, two different teachers. And getting back, Nachum, to what you said about the advantages and the benefits of going remote, we now could share class experiences with students across the area and maybe even farther. And uh, that's the idea, what I say, that we have to just now reinvent ourselves and find opportunities to enrich our school and give our students a great 2021 year, even if there are limitations. Unbelievable. Uh, uh, Malcolm, I need to put about one thing, the rabbi, he's talking about all the things he does and, and everything the school does, but he came up with something very recently, which I think really shows what is the heart of the school. 
um, and, and what is the basis of the school. And thank God we have these incredible uh, events like the Sidor play and the Flamas play and so many others. But unfortunately, there were two, two kids, I, think, I believe they're, they're twins, that were not mm-hmm. able to be there. Maybe they were in quarantine or they were, I forget the reason. Uh, and so they were going to miss the Sidor play. And I'm sure that happens every year that somebody sure. has a cold or something and they can't mm-hmm. be there. But this year, it's so special and such an important thing that the rabbi had them redo the Sidor play a second time out by the amphitheater <laughs> just for that, those children and their family to be able to be there and witness it. And to me, that was what makes the school so special, what makes the rabbi and his leadership so special, because it's not about just the whole. It's about the individual as well, and it's about these moments in life of these Jewish kids and their growth. And you, you can't make up that fedor flight. You know, it's not the kind of thing that you can do first grade again. Yeah. And they, it's really, you know, I, I was very moved by that. So many students, yeah, so many you. students of so many ages are left out of stuff because of what you just described. Not their fault. They've got to be quarantined. People are taking extra precautions. They may have a, a condition, frankly, a medical condition, which requires them to be much more careful. And uh, Rabbi Rubin Kolakavo, to remember those yeah. students that are Thank going you. through yeah. that are going through double isolation, I would call I'm glad it. Jeremy, I'm glad Jeremy mentioned that, because I, I really do feel that that really, you know, sometimes there are these one events that uh, uh, projects the the real value of the whole, and every single student here has a place and matters and is important to us, and uh, they are important to Amisro. Now, Rabbi, you mentioned Rabbi Sachs before. He, he was giving a tribute to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he said that uh, what made the Lubavitcher Rebbe become so motivated to do outreach, and he said that he looked, Lubavitcher Rebbe looked at the Holocaust and said that if the Nazis, Yemach Shemam B'Zichram, would pursue every single Jew, because they felt the value in, in, the, in murdering and, and extinguishing the Jewish people, that what he picked up from there is the significance and the centrality of every single Jewish soul that needs to be touched. And that's the way we are looking at it also. It was a very inspiring comment. And, you know, Nahum, I'm, I don't, I'm sure others have also experienced something, a, a secondary benefit, which we didn't expect. We had 15 public school students enrolled in our school this year, and we unfortunately couldn't accept another 14 because we just don't have the space. So, uh, you know, the, oh, the years because bring us because... a lot of challenges, and we had to hire new Judaic Studies faculty to integrate them into the program. I'm hoping that we'll be able to maintain them in the school when COVID passes us. And it, uh, it, as it, as this comes, as this challenge comes, it's an opportunity. And it just and, hit, and that's a and it just that's hit, a direct quote. And it just hit me. <laughs> thank you. And it just hit me. I, I assume the what the circumstances you're describing is that public school uh, parents realize that their kids ain't going to be in school much this year. And they went ahead and, and sought out a, a good, high-quality private school that would meet their needs and, and would take the, you know, the presence in school very seriously, right? I assume that's, that's what you exactly meant. exactly right. And uh, you have to build a reputation in advance in order right. to attract oh. the students in the moment. It's nope. a long, long runway to get to this point that we no can just question. have families that want to make that leap. No question about that. All right, Jeremy, it's very simple. Every single thing we've discussed in this conversation is only possible because of the people out there who support these efforts. And if Rabbi Rubin is uh, introducing more and more initiatives and programs, uh, then there has to be more and more support. And one of the easiest things one can do, and this is, by the way, not just for Kushner families, but for people around the world who feel that Jewish education needs to be supported. One of the easiest things they could do is this Sunday night, from the comfort of their own home, enjoy Master Mentalist Lior Suchard. Not a bad arrangement, right, Jeremy? Not at all. And we look forward to having as many people want to come and join us and support our cause of teaching high, high quality Jewish education along with the highest of quality secular education. 
keeping on improving the children, keeping on uh, to God willing, once we're out of these COVID restrictions and being able to really utilize all our space, adding more and more kids as we've been doing over the years. And uh, by helping us, supporting us, uh, it's, it's really incredible. Uh, we, 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 I, I feel that uh, Rabbi Rubin and the entire administration teachers put out truly the greatest product there is. And if you want to invest in something, uh, yeah, I say the same thing about Israel bonds. If you want to invest, yeah. invest in Israel bonds, if you want to invest in Jewish education, invest in the Kushner Academy. No question about it. Comfort. No question about it. Registration, sponsorship information. Uh, how do you go ahead and enjoy this 6.30 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday night? Just go to jkha.org slash atid. J-K-H-A for Joseph Kushner Hebrew Academy. jkha.org slash atid. Or you could use the phone number and speak with Sarah at 862-437-8001. 862-437-8001. The Atid Society chairs are about Cheva and Murray Halpern. And somehow... In 2020, with all the craziness, they came up with a great event for this coming Sunday night. Rabbi Rubin, Jeremy Halpern, I thank you both. Have a wonderful Shabbos and good luck. Thank lo- you, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank family. you very thank much. You. And Nachum, thank you. I just love in any time just to be in your presence. You're an inspiration to all of us, and we're proud that you're the spokesperson for all of Am Yisrael. Much appreciated. You'll leave me speechless, Rabbi. Thank you so much. A wonderful Shabbos to both of you, and good luck on Sunday night. Friday morning broadcast on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Toldos here at JM in the AM. As uh, we uh, get set, oh, a little bit over time, but we will uh, get to our closing theme and move on to Naomi and all of our great programming all day long. Erev Shabbos show brought to you by our friends at Kedem. We'll start just after 10 a.m. And our Erev Shabbos music mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem will go all day long. As well. The final hour of the week, sponsored by Kedem, coming up at about 3.15 Eastern Time on the Nahum Siegel Network. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a memory. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left to do. Say good job is Cause all your work is done I'm gonna spend a day Together with The Holy One Say a special blessing On a cup That's filled with wine Man and his creator It's a very special sign Your candles will be burning They'll fill your home with light Singing songs of Shabbos Well into the night So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Friday here at JM and the AM. Thanks to all of our special guests. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. Monday morning, we're back starting at 6 a.m. for a Thanksgiving week. JM and the AM here every single day, please, God. Don't forget, Matt, this is on JM Sunday live starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time this coming Sunday. I've run me tomorrow night with Saturday Night Seagull with Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. And, of course, all day long, you have Naomi Nachman next with Table for Two. Mark Zamek and the Arab Shabbos Show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Arab Shabbos Music Mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Final hour of the week at about 3.15 Eastern time brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Make sure to be tuned in. It'll enhance your Arab Shabbos and your Shabbos. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. Till next week, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.